Well, Titus chapter 3, and we looked last time at verses 2, 3, and 4, and let's read those again. He says, well, in the verse 1, he said, Be ready for every good work as we have a heart of submission towards authority. And to continue the thought, in verse 2, to speak evil of no one, but be peaceable and gentle, showing all humility, notice, to all men. So there's this meek spirit, this humble spirit that God desires to be prevalent in the community by the Christians. And in verse 3, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But, verse 4, when the kindness of the love of God our Savior towards man appeared. And we ended there last time as we were again reminded to not forget where we came from before we knew Christ. That we also had the anger and, and had the envy and the hatefulness and, and the, all the various lusts and pleasures that our bodies were obedient to, even though we knew it was not healthy. Yet we, we, we found ourselves in this pit, like the world around us is in the pit. And so often, again, we can get a, a judgmental spirit or condemning spirit uh, towards those who don't know Christ, but they just don't know any other way. They just don't know what it's like when a person gets born again and God's Holy Spirit comes into our life. I, I, before I became a Christian at the age of 15, I had a lot of anger in me. And when I became a Christian, I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit circumcised my heart and that nature of anger and wrath was gone. Now, dealing with anger and stuff was an ongoing thing as it is to this day, as with all of us. But, but the real root, the nature of that sin was taken away when I became born again. And in the place of my spirit and my lust and my passions ruling my life, it's now the Holy Spirit ruling and reigning and, and directing the life. And this is, again, what, what happened to us is what he's saying is going to be our greatest testimony. But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior towards men appeared, we were overcome uh, by those words that says in Romans uh, chapter 2. Don't, don't underestimate the kindness and the, the loving kindness and tenderness and mercies of God that lead us to repentance. And uh, so often we, you know, again, we might have come to church because our life was falling apart or we might um, come to church or come to Christ because we had a near-death experience, a foxhole-type experience. But ultimately, what brought true repentance where we're saying, God, I'm grieved over my sin. I'm grieved over my selfishness and my self-centeredness is that you are so good and I am so opposite of you. And I don't want my life to remain like that. I want my life to be submitted and look like your life. And Jesus gave us three years of ministry to show us his kindness and his goodness and his mercy. And so again, in verse two, that we're not to be scrapping like the world, speaking evil, gossiping and, and, and coming out 
with this fighting spirit, but we're to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. And, and uh, again, that's with Jesus. You know, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who, again, have that, that humble and broken and contrite heart. It's a beautiful thing and it's a powerful weapon in the hands of God. We see in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3 where it says, Wives and the likewise, if your husband's disobeying the word without your word, as he observes your just godly character, it says it will bring him to repentance. And this is how Sarah, the Bible says, won Abraham. Uh, even though he, again, was sort of a guy in his own strength trying to work out, telling Sarah to say, you're my sister, I'm afraid they're going to kill me, and so forth. And, and Sarah submitted to even uh, those times when Abraham was really off base. But yet we see that ultimately um, it was Sarah's life that, you know, we don't have all this in the book of Genesis, but from Paul's commentary, or Peter's commentary there in First Peter 2, it says that it was her godliness that, that brought Abraham to his senses and brought a repentance to his life. And again, the way her kindness and her humility was presented towards Abraham. And so when we, we come to Christ, at some point where true repentance happens is when we understand how good God is and how horrible we are. And it's not him telling us how horrible we are. It's simply we see it for ourselves when we see how good he is. And maybe you have friends like that. There's people in your life. Maybe, maybe it's your parents or maybe a sibling or maybe a, a, a friend and, and Maybe they've been friends for years or they've been in your life for years and it just sort of, you just have a defining moment where, bing, the light goes on and you realize they have been such a good friend or great parents or great children or great siblings or whatever and I have been a constant jerk to them but yet I'm a jerk to them and then they turn around and bless me. I'm ungrateful, I'm unthankful, I'm, I'm rude. And then I turn around and they bless my life. And eventually, you know, sometimes, we're just pretty dense sometimes. Sometimes, I, I've seen it uh, in marriages where really the spouse of one is really a horrible spouse. But yet the person just so deeply touched by God, they have just a deep, Christian character and no matter what abuse or rudeness or arrogance or whatever it is thrown at them the spouse just continually gets grace from God to absorb that and to continue to treat them loving and kind and patient and goodness and 20, 30 years later sometimes it's just bam you know, I've got the world's best wife, the world's best husband, and it's amazing. I, I just, I knew I wasn't the greatest spouse, but I didn't realize I was the worst on the world. <laughs> and, you know, the lights come on, and, and God will do that. He'll just sort of help you see <laughs> all of those times in your life that you were rude and unthankful and unkind and unappreciative and all, and then their response to that. And it just, it's overwhelming. And you really have a commitment, a loyalty, a thankfulness to that person 
that, that goes deeper than, than you can imagine. And with God, it's that way too. We continue to learn of his mercies uh, and his goodness. In that verse 4, it's, it's not the end of the sentence. So when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, this is where we come to verse 5 tonight, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So he makes it clear that God wasn't kind to us, that God wasn't loving to us in response to our righteousness. He wasn't responding to us because we had become lovely. And, and so often, people can think that. There's like, well, of course God owes me to answer my prayers now because, you know, I've been going to church for the last year. God owes me. I've been, you know, I gave up smoking. God owes me. <laughs> and we can sort of get this mentality where, uh, of course God's going to be kind and loving to me because I've really straightened up and some areas of my life I've really gotten under control no, when we were the ugliest, when we were as sinful as we've ever been, maybe ever will be, God loved us in spite of our ugliness, in spite of our ungodliness and our wickedness. And so it was in the midst of our sinful condition. And I've seen so often, and I share the Lord with people, and they're, they're like, give me a couple of weeks to straighten up my act. And then I'll pray to receive the Lord. And it's like, you know, it's really not in faith at that time. You're, you're now coming and saying, God, now you can accept me because I am better than I was three weeks ago. I straightened some things up. And no, it just doesn't work that way. The, the true salvation comes when we realize that God has loved us while we were sinners. That Christ died for us when we were wicked. That God is loving us and being kind to us because that's his nature. He can't change who he is. And that the, the whole point of it is that we are saved. Again, it says, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But it's just his mercy that he's poured upon us, that, that he has saved us. Again, Paul reiterates this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, faith in the grace of God. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In Romans 4, this is the point that, that Paul makes using Abraham as an example. In Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. God owes it to you. You worked for it. But to him who does not work, but believes on him. Listen again, verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. In Romans 4, verse 6. 
Just as David also describes the blessedness of a man to whom God imputes, declares righteous. Notice how again? Apart from works. David says in verse 7, Romans 4, verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Verse 8, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So here he, he makes it clear that our faith, the history of our faith, goes back and Abraham was called of God, not because he was special. As a matter of fact, we're going to get there in Deuteronomy next week where he says, I didn't choose you because you were a great people or that you would ever be a great people. I chose you because I just set my love upon you. That's it. And that we at that point when the kindness and the love and the mercy of God is revealed that God loves us, he wants to forgive us, then it's now a step of faith. And, you know, the bigger sinner you are, the bigger step of faith it is. I I don't disagree with that. Jesus said uh, as a woman who was a a clear prostitute was washing Jesus' feet. And the Simon the Pharisee, not Simon Peter, but Simon the Pharisee was thinking in his mind, if Jesus were really some kind of prophet, then he would know, he'd have the discernment to know how immoral this woman is. As she was sweeping on Jesus' feet, washing his feet with her hair, and, and she, he would not let her touch him. And then Jesus said, Simon, I came to your house. Did you offer to wash my feet at all? Which is customary. Everybody got their feet washed. But Jesus is this nobody nobody carpenter from Nazareth. And Simon, being this Pharisee, is like, this guy's, you know, no better than any hired servant I have. Didn't offer to wash his feet. But he said, this woman has not stopped washing my feet with her tears and her hair. And he said, Simon, if two people, you owe two people money, And you owed one guy a little bit of money. The other guy, you owed a lot of money. And they both forgave you the debt. Which one would you love the most? Well, the guy that forgave me the most. He said, in the same way, this woman has a love for me, a love for God, a love for his forgiveness and his mercy and his kindness in a way that you will never understand. Because he who sinned much, loves much, or appreciates much, or grasp and understands the reality of how good God is. And this is why it's so important that we don't try to clean ourselves up. That we come as we are and, and we realize God's not loving me because I cleaned myself up a little bit, put on some perfume and, you know, look the best I can look. That we come as we are with all our faults, with all our shortcomings, with all our evil, wickedness, unkindness, our, our rudeness and all the package that comes with that. And just throw our lives at God's feet, going, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. And then we receive that love and that goodness of God, not by our works. You see, if it's of our works, then you can't be saved. God is only, only offering one way for man to get to heaven. And that is by God giving you the gift of going to heaven. Nobody is going to be in heaven because they deserved it. Nobody's going to be in heaven going, boy, I'm glad I lived a really diligent, holy, righteous life. There's not going to be anybody in heaven with that testimony. 100% of everybody in heaven 
in spite of who they were. And I'm not saying there weren't good men in history. There were. You know, Enoch walked with God and he was not. And, and Daniel and Joseph. And there's a lot of wonderful men that we don't have sins attributed to them in the story of the Bible. But yet the Bible's made it clear that all men have sinned, whether the Bible documented it or not. And that everyone is in heaven because of the cross of Christ. When Christ died, the Bible says for three days and three nights, he went down into Sheol. It was a holding place in the bosom of Abraham for the righteous. And there was a holding place in Hades for the wicked. And there was a chasm where they could communicate. And Christ preached the gospel to all those people before the cross. They all heard it from Jesus. And then when Christ raised again, it said he emptied out all of those who were willing to believe in him and the the work of the cross went to be with the Lord at that time in heaven. That's why it says now in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is no more holding place. There is no purgatory. And so we, we learn of Abraham here that he received his righteousness as a gift of God by believing in the goodness and the grace of God. He did not earn it, and that's why we know that God, therefore, can impute him righteousness. If it's by our works, God can't impute his righteousness because you are self-righteous. In essence, you're saying, God, I don't need your righteousness. I have my own righteousness, And the Bible tells us in Isaiah that our righteousness before God is as filthy rags. Our heart is desperately, deceitfully wicked above all things who could know it. And so there is that that reality. And so often it's religious people who come to that reality, who have tried to be good. In Acts, we have many Pharisees that came to Christ. Why? Because they knew in, in, in Acts 15 where there was a group of Pharisees together trying to put on the Jews uh, or put on the Gentiles to keep the law of Moses, Peter stepped up and he said, you know what? No way. We nor any of our forefathers have ever been able to handle that burden. All of us have been saved by grace as a gift of God And all of these Gentiles in the same way, we're not going to put the law upon them to try to perfect what God's done or to try to put the, you know, the the crowning touch on what God has done. We can't improve. We are giving a perfect righteousness as a gift from him. And this is why, again, it makes it so clear. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercies, Then notice these three important words. He saved us. (laughs) Nobody saved themselves. There'll be nobody with the testimony in heaven. I save myself. I lived holy enough to get the same righteousness that everybody else has who got it as a gift from God. I earned it through my good works. There is no way humanly possible if you had one year or 10 billion years, you could never come to that place. And of course, the Bible's clear that we can't undo a sin that we've done. So even if you just committed one sin and you lived perfectly thereafter, you would still go to hell for the one sin. 
I know there's nobody who's committed one sin and lived perfectly ever after. It's a very hypothetical thing. But even if that were the case, all your years of righteous living cannot cover up, undo, clean up the one sin. And this is, again, what the Bible tells us. If you have the law, but you break it in one point, you are guilty of all the law. And then he goes on to say some wonderful things that after his mercy, we received his mercy. And that's, you know, Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers said, um, in heaven, I'll be on the back row <laughs> because I'm, I'm not worthy to be elevated in heaven to any great stature. But he said, everybody in heaven will know I'm there because I'll be singing the loudest of the mercies of God. And that's a great point, you know. It's like we're just going to be overwhelmed with his mercy and his grace that we have been given such an incredible gift in spite of our weakness and our frailties and our shortcomings. But he has saved us. And what came with that? Through the washing. Let's just stop there a minute. God has washed us. He has cleansed us. It says in Ephesians 5 that he has washed us as white as snow, without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. White as snow, like a wedding dress, is is the analogy, that we are the bride ready to go and be married. He has washed us. And then we find in Ephesians 5 that he's continually washing us. It's not a one-time act. Okay, I saved you. You're born again. I washed you. Everything is taken care of. Now, you got a fresh start. Get your act together. Uh, From this point on, it's up to you. It's not that. An hour later, God washes us. (laughs) The next day, God washes us. He continually, by the working of of his love towards us as the groom to the bride. He's continually washing us. And 1 John, it says, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, it says the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from all sin. You think about that. Even as Christians, we're walking so obediently, we're walking in the light as he is in the light, but in this human frailty, we still need a continual cleansing. Now, there's some of you that aren't walking in the light as he is in the light, and you're greatly convicted by it. And God's cleansing you also, but you're going to reap what you've sown. There's others that are walking in the light, but they, they realize, I'm still, when I put my head on the pillow at night, I realize, man, I was so unlike Christ in so many ways today. And, and maybe not as bad as you were a year ago or 10 years ago. But you still realize there's so far to go to walk and to talk as Jesus did. But we're so thankful that God through the washing, and then notice this wonderful word, from the regeneration. When I I think of that, I I think of somebody who has cancer and, and they begin to give them some kind of treatment and then it reverses and then the cells begin to regenerate into the, 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 the white blood count that it's supposed to be at. And, and here we are, there's, there's this regeneration. What happens to us? The Bible says, 
that God literally goes in and circumcises our old man. And he takes it out. And then he puts his Holy Spirit in our lives. So that dead man, that old dead man that was there to serve the flesh, to be obedient to the world and the devil, it's gone. We've been regenerated. And this is why he also goes on to say, and renewed, regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Again, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, declares the same truth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Again, we're a new creation. We have not only a fresh start, and God's going to continue daily. His mercies are new every morning. We're at this point forward going to continually get a fresh start every single day. Isn't that awesome? His mercies are new every morning, every moment he's washing us. Every moment the blood of Christ is cleansing and continuing to cleanse us from all sin. So not a second goes by that we are not without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle. We're prepared as white as snow in that beautiful white dress of the bride, ready to stand before our groom. And so we have a new creature. We are a new creation. The old sinful man is gone. And I'm not saying that the old habits are gone. I'm not saying the old brain is gone. I'm not saying the flesh isn't screaming as it did. We, we, I'm not saying we don't have an uphill battle to, to live out. Positionally, Christ made us righteous. And now, practically, we need to live out that righteousness. And that's going to be a constant battle. So we've got to retrain our mind. If you were doing drugs, let's say, that's an easy one for everybody to see. Or alcohol, those are easy ones to see. Your, your brain is, you know, three o'clock every day saying, no, man, you need that alcohol, you need that joint, or whatever it is. And your, your body's, you, you've trained it to, to desire this. And so it's screaming and your, your flesh, but yet the, the Spirit of God. I remember uh, one of the best testimonies I, I heard was in, when I was in the college ministry and an athlete, and, and basically they would come into the locker room on Monday, and after the workout, they would all start bragging about their exploits, their sexual exploits over the weekend. And he had gotten saved that weekend. And that Monday, everybody started, you know, giving their exploits of how they had sex with this person or that person. And and he was listening to it and sort of in the root, you know, saying in the groove, sort of getting into it and and then it just began to grieve him. I mean, it literally just, it was the Spirit of God in him, <laughs> grieving, saying that the old man rejoiced in that. The old man wanted to hear those stories. The new man is now made in righteousness and holiness and purity. And those things now will grieve you. And by the next Bible study we had, he's like, I, I'm in turmoil. <laughs> I, I had more peace before I came to Christ. You had a peace of the world. The Bible talks about there is a peace of this world. But yet his whole life was set up in such a way that he, there was no Christian area of his life. 
And so his spirit's grieving on Monday and the spirit's grieving about the other thing on Tuesday and the spirit's grieving about another thing on Wednesday because these old buddies and telling the dirty jokes and, you know, going to the bar and, you know, swapping stories of having sex the last weekend and all these things were just grieving him so much. He was just like, what's going on? I said, isn't it wonderful? <laughs> In Hebrews 12, it says, every child of God he chastens that's one way you know you're a Christian if you can live in sin and there is no heavy hand of God upon you there's no grieving of the spirit the spirit of God doesn't live in you God doesn't spank kids that aren't his own but it's wonderful and I you know even now when the spirit grieves within me I love it because I'm just so thankful God's spirits in my life saying hey don't go off the reservation. You know, you're on the narrow road. Don't, don't get off over here in the, in the bush, in the, in the sand and in the dirt. You know, the, 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 get back over here. And boy, how we want to let our conscience that's being seared by the world be renewed to an innocent, childlike conscience again. So even the slightest little thing grieves us like it would grieve a two-year-old, three-year-old child that we have that sensitivity of of purity, that sensitivity of loveliness. That's why Paul says, all the things above, put your mind on. Things that are pure and lovely and honorable and, and truthful and worthy of praise. Let your mind meditate upon these things. And God's spirit will bring you to that place till, man, only the things that are pure and lovely can your, your spirit now rejoice in. Your spirit and God's spirit is, is one. And you're a new creation. In John 17, Jesus said, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, that we would be in them, referring to all believers, and they in us in a perfect unity. And then he says, what will be the effects of that? The world will hate them as they've hated me. <laughs> the world will persecute them as it persecuted me. The things of the world will grieve them as it grieved me. And so it's a wonderful thing that Jesus is saying, I live in you. The Holy Spirit is saying, you are now betrothed to Christ. You you are now, God is in you and you are in him in this perfect unity. And anything that begins to break that unity, no. I've renewed you. I've regenerated you by the Holy Spirit who now lives in our life and God is not letting us stay stagnant. He's always stretching us, moving us forward into greater righteousness, greater holiness, greater truthfulness, a greater glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, but we all with unveiled faces beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed and notice this, The same image. That word transformed is the word metamorphosis. It's like the caterpillar that goes into the cocoon. This thing was down in the lowlands, down where it's dark and damp and chewing on the bottom of the plants. And then this creepy, slimy thing goes into a cocoon. (laughs) And the same molecules... They liquefy. And then they re 
assemble themselves, not in this heavy, slug, creeping, crawling thing, but this light, airy butterfly that's not down in the lowlands under the deep, dark, damp places, but now is up in the light and the air soaring. And this is the, the terminology here that we also are being transformed from this old sinful nature now step by step into a practical righteousness, a practical holiness into the same image. And I love this from glory. The moment we receive Christ, we're glorified. His Holy Spirit lives in us. But now he's taken us to a further glory from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord or equal to the Spirit of the Lord. And so, again, it's a precious thing when we we realize the the deep significance of what Christ has done for us. And then he goes on in verse 6. He's also poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, again, through Jesus Christ, his Spirit has been poured out upon us. And let me tell you something. That can continue to happen. Matter of fact, in Ephesians 5, he commands it to be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, he says, but be filled with the Spirit. Our, our bodies do get dry. Our bodies do long. And, and the ordinary does drain us. And it's interesting, if you've ever seen on the side of a bar, it says wine and what? Spirits. It's interesting in Galatians 5 when it it, it talks about sorcery. It's the word pharmaceo. It's the word pharmacy, drugs. And we we get to that place that we we need ecstasy. We need a lift. We, We need a revitalization to continue to be faithful in our marriage and faithful as parents and faithful as friends and faithful as Christians. We, we get to that place and it's God who brings us in the desert. Again, we're gonna see in Deuteronomy, he says, it was me. I'm the one who took you in the desert. Why? To humble you. Why? To show you that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from my mouth. I took you into the desert to thirst where you cried out, there's no water in this desert that satisfies me. And he there brings water out of the rock. And the rock was Christ that we long. And so, again, we're gonna come to that crossroads as Christians. Am I gonna, am I gonna get the water of the Spirit or am I gonna get the water of this world? Am I gonna allow the world to stimulate my flesh or am I gonna allow the Spirit of God to possess me in a greater way and control my flesh. And there's a reality there where we have to to answer that question over and over again. What is going to possess me? What is going to control me? And here he's saying that we have not just once, but a continued outpouring of God's Spirit upon us abundantly, he says. Through Jesus Christ our Savior, we come to that rock Jesus says in John 6, he is the manna. He is the manna that comes out of heaven for us. And then in verse 7, that having been justified, just as righteous as Jesus, justified, when you see that, just as righteous as Jesus, by his grace, 
we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are justified by his grace. And so it is by God's doing that we have the love of God in our life. It's by God's grace and his doing that the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from all sin. It's by God's doing that he died for us, he rose again, and he brought us the victory over sin and over death. It was by his grace that he chose us, that he called us. And we we stand blameless because he justified us by his grace. It wasn't by our doing. It was by his grace. In Romans 5, in verse 6, it says, For when we were still without strength... (laughs) We knew we were sinners, but we had no ability to quit sinning. We knew that something had to change. We were going downhill, but we couldn't. We saw it, but we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. We didn't have a righteous strength. We didn't have a faithful strength. We didn't have a holiness strength. We didn't have an ability to even come to God. We had too much pride and arrogance. When we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved By his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And so when Christ died for us, when God loved us, we were sinners, we were evil, we weren't coming towards him, we weren't repenting towards him, we we weren't wanting more righteousness or holiness or more prayer meetings or going to go to church or to read a Bible. We, we, we had no desire. If somebody had said, hey, come to church, we would have laughed at them. I'm sleeping in on Sunday morning. You're not going to get me to go to church. Come to a prayer meeting. I, I would rather get a tooth pulled. We were without strength. But yet in that depraved, indifferent, sinful nature, we came to know salvation. Now here we are a week as a Christian or a year as a Christian or 10 years as a Christian and we're hitting a low time. Yet you have those. When you get married on your wedding day, you think, you know, we're never gonna have these horrible, horrible days and you will and months and years. And you'll look at your spouse and you'll say, why did I ever make that decision 10 years ago to marry them? I don't know what I was thinking. If I knew what I knew today, I probably never would have. You go through these amazing fleshly moments. Let me just put it that way. Selfish, self-centered, prideful, arrogant thoughts that would destroy your marriage or your family or your own health in many cases. And we're like, here I am now at this very ugly place, this very evil place. I've been a Christian 10 years and I'm at this crossroads. Am I gonna try to fulfill myself with the flesh, whether it's impurity or drugs or alcohol or pride or just 
uprooting myself and moving where the grass is greener? Or am I going to be broken before God? But he's saying here, if, if Christ saved you when you were an enemy of his, how much more now God is going to reconcile you to himself at this moment in time after five years, ten years of being a Christian? And then he says that we should become heirs to the hope of eternal life. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says, all that is God's is yours. And you are God's. And then he ends second or first Corinthians three by saying, Therefore all things are yours. One of the last verses of the Bible in Revelation twenty one seven. He who overcomes shall inherit what? All things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We need to just stop and realize what is at stake here. We we are are we gonna really throw in to please our flesh? Are we really going to exchange all that God has done for us? All the mercy and the love and the kindness and the patience and the goodness. And here you are as a Christian, a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and you're going to this dark night of the soul. Are you really going to cash in? Are you really going to depart from the living God and miss out on all that God has given us as joint heirs? Of Christ, all things. And then in verse 8, here tonight, we're going to finish with this verse. This is a faithful saying, a solid, doctrinal, known statement. These things I want you to affirm constantly. I want you to bring it up, tie it into every message that you can. Bring it in that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These are good and profitable to men. Now, take a note again, back in verse 5. What was the first thing that he wanted us to know? It's not by works of righteousness which we are done, but according to his mercies, he saved us. So let's make it clear here. We're not talking about good works to save us. But what is he saying? That once we are saved, we are a people that bear fruit. Jesus said you would know them by their fruit. No good tree can bear a bad fruit. No bad tree can bear good fruit. Jesus says those who hear the word of God with a good and noble heart, it says they'll bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. In John 15, Jesus says, as you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will bear good fruit and thus prove to be my disciple. Everyone who abides in me and I in him, the Father prunes him that he will bear even more fruit. And so again, we are, we're fleshly sinful people and we are in a world that's pulling at us and a devil who's attacking us and we're in a world and especially in the Western culture that says, please yourself. Please your flesh. We have constantly thrown at us, whether it's sexuality or whether it's pride or whether it's materialism, 
We're, we're basically, if you watch one football game, you're basically encouraged in every advertisement to break all Ten Commandments. You know, buy that new car. You deserve it. You know, be unfaithful. Don't be good stewards. Lust your head off. Here's your new God. <laughs> a credit card or a house or a car. Or... You're basically told, be discontent. Where the Bible says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Naked we came in this world and naked we'll go out. And so again, wherever your pattern is right now, and you know, I, I've seen people that have been a Christian for three or four years and they sort of get to that place that all the newness is sort of rubbed, is gone. The honeymoon's over, okay? When you first came to church, it's like, oh, everybody's so new and wonderful. All the songs are new and wonderful. You know, all of Brian's stories are new and wonderful. And everything's great and you sort of have this romantic thought about everybody and then you realize, man, I'm going to church and everybody has the same problems I have. You know, every you know, I used to think that guy was so wonderful and he's I saw him the other day, he's pretty rude to his wife. I you know, I don't really respect him like I used to. And you know, and, and you hear all the stories and the difficulties, and if you would, we're a family now. You know, it's fun going to somebody else's family reunion. You know, maybe you remember the first time you know, I can remember my wife said, Hey, let's go to our family reunion. It was great. Go to the family reunion. It was wonderful. Then you get to know him after a few years, and it's like, oh boy, I don't know. Um, it was fun meeting him the first couple of times. But the reality sets in. And, and you see people starting to back away. You start seeing people back off. I'm not going to teach Sunday school. I'm not going to usher. I'm not going to do the good works they once did. And it's like, well, you know, I need to concentrate more on this. I need to focus more on that. I need to, you know... And it's like, you know what? God is always going to raise up labors. That is not the issue. The issue is you're backing off from good works. And those are habits that have probably saved you more than once. You're having to prepare a Bible study for the kids in the three through five-year-old class is what kept you near to God, knowing you'd have to be a super hypocrite on Sunday morning or repent and get things right before Sunday morning. And these are patterns. And if you've ever seen it, I mean, a lot of you guys are sitting in the same pew you sit every time you come to church here. Why? It's our flesh. Our flesh wants to sit. And we, we want the same things. That's the way our flesh is built in, to repeat habits over and over again, to repeat the same habits. And those good works are what's going to keep you in many cases, your, your heart warm towards God as the world and the flesh and the devil's trying to cool you off and pull you away. It's what's keeping you near. And so when he says here, a very important thing, to be careful. What's that? It's saying protect. Really watch out that, that the good works in your life are not less, but more, if anything. Don't back off. And I understand we go through hard times. And we're just sort of wanting to just get depressed and become a hermit and, you know, and we all have those feelings, don't we? 
we have a difficult time, whether it's in marriage or with the kids or with a new relationship or a new job or no job or finance. I mean, we, our life's a roller coaster. And God doesn't promise any, anything difficult. In this world, he says, you will have many tribulations. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You also will overcome the world. But we have to maintain as we're going through those difficult times to, to keep our focus on God. And good works is a way to keep the pattern going when everything else is sort of falling apart, when everything else is in flux. This is the one thing that's set. And, you know, I've seen it. The testimonies afterwards. Maybe we'll have somebody, for example, on the worship team, and they're just like, man, I feel like such a hypocrite. I'm going through this and that, and I'm going through these hard times. My kids are teenagers, and they're disobeying me, and here I am up there leading, you know, playing the piano or guitar or whatever, and my kids are not walking with God, and, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm a horrible parent, and I know I am, and, you know, who am I to, to get up there and on the stage, and everybody looking at me like I'm some wonderful, you know, nobody thinks you're a wonderful Christian because you're on stage, Okay? They think that you struggle like everybody else struggles. But years after that, encourage him to say, stay faithful. Years afterwards, it's like, you know what? That was like the one hook <laughs> when everything else was flapping in the wind. It was the one thing that held me on to the boat. You know, whether that was teaching Sunday school or go to the orphanage or ushering, it was the one thing that, that kept me attached And when everything quit being in flux, I was still in a pattern of good works. And so again here, he says, these are good and profitable to men, to the ones doing the good works and the one receiving the good works. And so, I mean, do do you guys really believe that I should only preach a sermon when I am living at the absolute best I've ever lived as a Christian? If that were the qualification, I mean, I'd be up here, you know, every other week or maybe once a year. I don't know. Depends on the year. I mean, there, there are times when it's just like every demon in California, you know, Satan says, focus on that guy. And you're just like Job, just like, you know, everything's, everything's being attacked. And then there's just times where it's, For whatever reason, you're just weakened in mind, weakened in the body. And I'm not saying I'm living in sin or anything like that, but I don't get up here feeling like I'm some great guy to teach all you guys. I'm I'm humbled, I'm broken. I'm like, okay, God, I'm your donkey. You've called me to this. I'm going to get up and I'm going to speak perfectly your word. But I, I wish my life was represented a little better right now. And without fail... Whatever I teach on, the next day, Satan will try to make me a liar. So it's like, if I teach on marriage, you can guarantee it, the next six months, I'm going to go through hell. It's just like Satan saying, you're going to try to strengthen people in the marriage, I'm going to rip yours apart. Or whatever I teach on. It's, it's, it's him trying to, to realize. And that's one of the, some of the things maybe you don't realize with home fellowship leaders and pastors and so forth. And so again, in in your life, you know, nobody thinks you're teaching Sunday school, everything's 100% in your life, and that's why the only reason you're still volunteering to be a Sunday school teacher. It's just not that way. The Bible says, confess our sins one to another, pray for one another, and that's what we do. We expose it. 
We, we don't let our sins fester in the dark. We expose it. And we say, man, I'm really struggling in this area. You know, and bring it to the light. When you bring it to the light, no mold can grow there. The sun kills it all. And there's the power. I mean, a lot of the power that Satan has over us is just the fact that it's secretive. Bring it out of the secret place. And I'm not saying you confess it to everybody you know, but there should be some people in your life that you can count on them thinking the same about you even when they find out you're weak, even when they find out you're not so perfect. Right? I mean, they're still gonna love you. They may be disappointed. It may be a little hard for them to hear. But at the end of the day, they're still gonna be your friend and they're gonna be in your life. And Proverbs says a friend loves at all times, right? And so again here, it's, it comes back to, to pointing to Jesus. Look at what God's done. We were saved, not because of our righteousness, because of his kindness, because of his love, because of his mercy. We're in Christ today, not because he washed us one time and we've been living great ever since. It's because he's continually washing us and cleansing us every single day. His mercies are new every morning, right? So get your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And in the midst of our race, <laughs> midst of our pilgrimage, you may be going, you know, the roller coaster's going down right now for you. You know, the one nice thing about it going down, you know it's going to be going back up. But you, you can't have mountains without valleys, Right? You got to go through the deserts and go through the valleys to get to the mountains. So when you're going through those times, it's not the time to start letting go, especially of the good works. If anything, it's more to press in. And it's something you really got to learn as a Christian. You'll find when you're praying the most, you'll be under the most attack. And, and that's when you're just like, okay, Satan, <laughs> this is it. You know, I'm not backing off. I'm going to push forward. And I'm not going to let you win. A lot of times people want to say, what's God's will? Find out where Satan is, is fighting you the hardest. If you're not hearing from God, you've heard from the devil, go right through him. That's where he doesn't want you to go, so that's where you want to go, is where the devil's putting the most amount of pressure on you. Well, Lord, we thank you again. And we, we do take to heart, Lord, not just this time, but all the other times Titus has told us to be careful to maintain good works. It's a, it's a continual theme as we look at this passage and how you've told us to not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we would reap if we don't lose heart. And Lord, tonight, I, I think this is a word you have for as many here tonight who are maybe wanting even at home to let go of good works towards their spouse or towards their kids or maybe at work, they're just discouraged right now and they just don't want to work for their boss as they have in the past and, and uh, or work for their employees as they once did. They don't want to care for them the same way because they've been hurt. And Lord, we need to get our eyes on you that we're working as unto you. We're caring for those under us as for you, Lord. They're under, you've given them under our care for your glory and that we need to obey you and maintain good works no matter how unthankful or ungrateful man is or how depressed or, or how horrible we're feeling about ourselves today that that you are the same yesterday today and forever and and that your gifts and your calling are irrevocable just because we're going through a hard depressing time doesn't mean that that your calling's changed your direction's changed and lord we we come back again to you right now and we ask in jesus name that you would 
put this deep in our hearts and let us share these words with our brother and our sisters to, to be careful to maintain good works. It's good for them and it's good for those that are being ministered to. And again, just want to get our eyes on you tonight, Lord. Your love, your kindness, your mercy, your goodness. That when we are weak, you are strong. When we're faithless, you remain faithful. That where our sin abounds, your grace abounds more. That there is nothing in height or width or length or breadth or things created or things in heaven or hell. There's nothing, Lord, that'll separate us from your love for us. Things present nor things to come. Nothing will separate us from your love for us. We just get our eyes off ourselves, off our circumstances, and put our eyes on you tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. And hey, before you head out, yes, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless your name, God. Bless your name. Before you head out, take a moment, if you want, and, and share with somebody. If you have kids in the Awanas, they're not out for another seven minutes or so, and just share, hey, here's what God spoke to me.